0: Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams, and I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. David, great episode. Kevin Rose, He's not all of mine.
1: I'm glad we had him on the podcast. What a fantastic discussion. What are some of the highlights? Two themes of this episode really stuck out to me. One theme is that Kevin is just a veteran of the growth of the internet. We've had a number of these uh, types of individuals on that have just watched the internet be born in front of their eyes. And Kevin was lucky enough to be able to both be a builder and then an investor in the growth of Web2. Kevin founded the Dig platform, which is an early version of Reddit which was a little bit before my time. But I think that those experiences that he had watching Web2 grow really kind of allowed him to understand the role in community and people as the content creators and the value creators for these systems. And the other thing that I think I really enjoyed was the transition from being a founder or angel investor into technologies or companies, and instead in the world of Web3, being an angel investor into artists or creators and just the paradigm shift that that brings along with it as well. And Kevin, I know, is really just interested in seeing creativity blossom out of the Web3 platform.
0: Yeah, it's super cool. I think Kevin's got a great perspective. So he was a builder in Web2, right? It's like one of the first, he was building a Web2 company, dig.com, before it was even known as Web2, right? So he's kind of a pioneer in that industry. And then he turned into a venture capitalist. So he's seen that side of things. And then he's also been like a media producer, right? So he's got sort of the hat trick of like builder, venture capitalist, and then also media producer, which is super cool. Right up our alley. Right up our alley, right? So he's got all of those vantage points that he brings into exploring the NFT space. And I guess a few things we got into the podcast is why he thinks celebrity NFTs are kind of lame and have jumped the shark. What he actually looks for in NFT projects and the differences between you know something that's new and creative versus something that's kind of like, you know trying to ape the last trend and how to identify the next big thing moving forward. We got an interesting discussion on the metaverse as well, like how that is going to shape up, what that's going to look like. And overall, it's really cool to just have someone on, vibe with somebody who's, I guess, does many of the same things we do, David, but is also like all in on crypto now. Like you got the sense with Kevin, like, okay, you're like us. This has fully consumed your life now, hasn't it, right? Like you're all in now and there's no turning back and everything else is boring. So this is also someone who I think intends to spend the next five years or so on crypto, if not longer.
1: I always enjoy it when we bring fellow content producers on the podcast because they just know how to make good content. So the vibe of this episode is just three podcasters in a podcast together having a good time. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation with Kevin Rose. So let's go ahead and get right into it. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni Grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you're getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commission. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your orders across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy to use platform and that has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and accidentally getting a bad price. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp so you can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that Fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz/bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Bankless
0: Nation, we are super excited about our next guest. This is Kevin Rose. He's an internet entrepreneur. He's a partner at True Ventures. He was a builder in Web2. And is very much tuned into the rise of Web three that is now going on. He's also a fellow content producer, so if you recognize that mic quality, it's because Kevin produces podcasts. He's been doing this since two thousand and three. He hosts Modern Finance, which is a fantastic podcast, as well as Proof. This is a newer podcast all about NFTs and the Metaverse. Kevin,
2: how are you doing, man? It's great to have you on Bankless finally. Oh. You know, I've been. I listen to you guys. This may sound odd, but I, I have a sauna, and I try to do that. And I put you guys on the sauna, and so it's it's weird to be on the show, but it's uh it's so cool to um see all the great content you've put out. It's I think that this there needs to be more of this type of content. So I I always love seeing uh, people that approach this space in a in a thoughtful way, in a way that is not scammy. I don't know if you've looked at some of the other. Uh, cryptocurrency podcast. A little scammy. Go on YouTube. There are a few of them out there that are a little yeah. pump, and, <laughs> pump and dump, you know? So, yeah. It's cool that you guys are doing it right.
0: We've tried to occupy that niche. And, you know, I think that's what people appreciate. It's like this is a journey for all of us. And this is like a journey of self discovery, right? So, even this conversation, every conversation we have with someone, we expect to learn something new. So, I'm excited to learn something here today, Kevin. And you know what's super cool about you saying this is because this is like full circle for me. because. I first got into Web2, believe it or not, on Dig. Oh, crazy. Okay, Dig.com. This is where I learned about Web2, like the power of Web2. David's a youngin', you know? He's like, I don't know if he remembers the original Dig, but like I remembered it when it used to look like this, Kevin. Wow. Remember that? Oh, my God. Okay.
2: So, so that was actually my design. That's this how is bad, your design. That's how you know it's bad. Yeah. I did that all myself. So
0: <laughs> I remember these days. I also remember these days. And for those of you who weren't around at that point in time, like, you were brought up in web two in the social web, okay? Back in my day, the web was not social, all right? It was like a one-to-one type relationship. It was you and the website. There was no notion of like a community. It wasn't a like many-to-website type relationship. Yeah. And the innovation that Digg brought, which was absolutely incredible to me, was like, oh, we can create the front page of this website, like the front page of the internet all together? It doesn't have to be like someone in a high tower telling us what content is good on the internet. We can all collectively, as a community, create the front page of Dig, and it's similar to if folks are familiar with Reddit, right? It's like with Dig, you would dig things, which is kind of an upvote, and you could bury things, which is sort of a downvote. And this was like the OG original website where you could do that. It was my introduction to Web two. Super powerful man, and I'm honored to be talking to you today, Kevin. Because you brought me into Web Two. That's amazing. Yeah. Full circle.
2: Well, thanks for saying that. It was it was it was a lot of fun. You know, it's like I was uh, pretty young back then, and honestly, it was just like right place, right time, kind of fun, new idea, and um, you know, there was new technologies that were coming online at that point with AJAX, where you wouldn't have to leave a page. You could actually interact with the current page you were on, which today, you know, when you click on something and you see a vote go up or something, it seems so you're like, oh, of course, that's the way it works. It didn't used always be used to work that <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah, you actually have to go to a, when I first launched Dig, if you clicked on voting on something to dig something, it would take you to another page. So you'd go to another page and it would say, thank you for your Dig. And then Ajax dropped. And that was a lot, asynchronous JavaScript allowed you to do everything on page. So you could see all that stuff happening in real time. The numbers were going up in real time. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun, but that was, you know, 2004. So that's, uh, it was a while ago.
0: When you started this in 2004, was the term web to even invented like the social web? No. How did that meme arise?
2: Yeah. So, uh, Jason Calacanis who ran web Inc, which was, um, a collection of different blogs, like in and a, a whole slew of them. Um, he came up to me and he's like, oh man. And he's like, dig you're, you guys are, 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 are web 2," And I was just like, I was like, do I I need to run like a software update that I didn't know about? (laughs) Like maybe i like, I I literally was like, am I missing something here? What is this Web 2 thing? And um, it was just this collection of different sites and technologies that were coming together that people started putting under that umbrella. So, you know, they lumped in us and Delicious and Flickr and Facebook and Twitter. And there's a handful of us that Yelp and some others that were all kind of part of this, you know, Web 2 founding crew. So what do you think about this Web 3 moniker? Are you vibing with it? Do you like oh, it? Oh, I
0: love it. Yeah. So what do you like about it? What does it add?
2: Mm, I just I feel like, um, you know, the promise of Web 2, at least when, when we were doing Dig was that, you know, we wanted to have this front page that would be a place where the community could come together and they could vote on stuff and the best content. It was like a, a, demar- or, um, a fully kind of decentralized way of, of voting on and, and, and making up the front page. But it, in in practice, it really didn't work. There was just a, a lot of spam. There was just uh, all different types of issues that we ran into to try and make that a reality. And then you have re- uh, Reddit come and attack the long tail, which actually is why they ended up beating us in the long run. Is that they went after these niche communities, and the aggregate of the niche was actually much larger than you know just the any any one front page that was dig. I, we hit around I don't remember what it was now around. F- 30-something million uniques per month. Um, That's kind of where we tapped out. And they just kept growing because of that long tail. But in reality, it was still, you know, these were like centralized organizations. They were like being, there were corporations that were VC-backed. And it was, um, they very much had, Uh, a mandate to go out and make money. I mean, they had to obviously pay the payroll and all the things. And not all of that is bad, but that means that, you know, we collected user data and we did kinds of things that all companies do in this this ad-driven model. And um, I just love this idea of the true empowerment of the individual to come in, collectively come together, to raise funds in different ways, you know, not having to go down the venture route if you don't want to, and to decide and vote on things that are, less about just what's happening here locally or in the United States, but it seems like the Web3 audience is a much more international audience and people are collaborating in real time in unique ways I've just never seen before. So, you know, the rise of DAOs is a great example of this. Um, you know, obviously the, the open source nature of Web3 and the collaborations happening around that. It just um, it feels like a maturing of this original idea that was the promise of Web2, but we're not actually seeing until now in, in Web3.
0: Yeah, so Chris Dixon has this thing, this tweet, this mental model, of course, because he's you know Chris Dixon, that's what he does. Web one, and he says read. It's all about read. Web two, read write. Web three, read write and own. And like I simplify this as like Web one is links. Then we got to likes, and now we're on tokens. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's like? I mean, Dig was all about communities and such, but. The communities could never really own the net results of what they were doing. I mean, what they could do is they could form whatever links formed the homepage, but they didn't capture the upside in that. Is that what Web3 is all about? Is it about community ownership in your mind?
2: You know, I think that Web3 is certainly that's a piece of it. Like there's no doubt that we're able to capture value and spread value in unique ways that we haven't seen before. Um, but that said, I, you know, I lump NFTs into Web3 and and all the different things that come under that umbrella. Um, so I, I would say that the ownership is a, a, a big piece. I think the organization of resources is a big piece. Um, the way the kind of like grassroots bottoms up uh, approach to building products is a big piece. Um, but yeah, they, I, I, I really love this idea of ownership being now back in the hands of the individual contributors like that they're the ones that are providing all the value that's where the ownership actually should reside um but i also love this idea of brand building and company building being done at the community level like just this idea that you can get together and grab ten thousand a hundred thousand people and go and build board apes and what that's turned into i mean that's just like a beautiful idea of like this like bottoms up brand building you see it with cool cats you see it with some of the other nft projects um and i believe the futures of the future of brands like actual whether it be clothing brands or you name it is going to be driven largely by community participation and community ideas and um, that that's really exciting to me there's definitely a cohort of these web2 platforms reddit and dig
1: are the ones that come to mind where it really actually inspired some sort of integration into a community, right? So you pick your very niche community in Reddit, and you see all the same people there on that one niche subreddit. And you actually get to grow a name for yourself and having some sort of, you weren't owning the actual like exposure to the upside, but you felt responsible for your community. And I feel like that's a decent number of these web two platforms really tapped into that, like, innate human desire to own some sort of responsibility, to have responsibility for something. And I think we all know in the Web3 world, it's that even more so. Mm -hmm. I also want to think like, Kevin, you're a veteran of the Web2 world. And when we, when me and Ryan, when we talk about Web2 on the Bankless podcast and really the whole entire industry, we're talking about it in this very negative way. It's like, oh yeah, Web3 is going to come and eat Web2's lunch. Like Web2 will be destroyed by Web3. But as somebody who's intimately knowledgeable about both of them, do you really see that antagonistic relationship or do you see, how do you see web two also coming along and perhaps being inspired by web three? And because like, it's not this web two is just going to like go down without a fight, right? Like web two they're, Web two is going to come along with it. So how do you think these, uh, these platforms like that incentivize community ownership and community collaboration,
2: how do you think they're going to come along for the ride here? It's a good question. I, I think in some sense you have to have, you have to start um, realizing that, participation, like if you already own a big brand or you have a big web two property, you have to understand that, that it's no longer about a closed boardroom making decisions for the future of your business. And it's about opening up, um, really everything to the community so they can have a look inside of what's going on and figuring out how can I incentivize these users to use my product in, in ways that actually deputize them and really empower them to, help me become a better product and help me move faster. I mean, if you take a look at what happened with Discord last week or two weeks ago when they decided to um, integrate Ethereum wallets and then all of a sudden the gamers said, no, 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 we don't want that. And they rolled back that decision. It was just like such a centralized move. I was like that that nobody, the community actually really wanted, a lot of the community wanted uh, on the crypto side and the NFT side, they wanted this product to be more... um, well, I shouldn't say less about gaming, but more um, kind of crafted and built purpose built for their use cases. You know, discord is, is is obviously the place where I mean, you know, this you have a bankless discord. It's like it's a place where people go to have conversations to share off to share the different, um, you know, either tokens they hold or NFTs that they hold. And it's really lacking, like why there isn't a way for me to click on someone, see their wallet, see their NFTs, pin certain NFTs to the top, like really make it about this interactive experience in this Web3 world. And they came back and said, actually, no, we're not going to do that. This is what we decided as a company Um, that just feels so backwards to me. And I feel like they're just setting themselves up for disruption. And I think every company has to understand that they need to um, start playing. Like they really need to start playing in this world and figuring out what can they open up and, um, start doing a series of tests. It's a very, it's a very scary thing when you have something that's working like to, 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 to say, okay, I'm going to rethink my entire business model is, is really, um, I am, I'm skeptical that they can pull it off, but I, I, I'm rooting for them if that makes sense. And, and then that said, you know, I and I'm when I talk about that, I think I'm thinking of companies like Twitter, like Discord, like Facebook, you know, Meta. Like I think I think Facebook is just gonna die, a slow death. I'm i I'm sorry, I think it's garbage. <laughs> I, I, I You don't think this, they're gonna be able to make this transition?
0: No, I don't. I I Why? Because so, so Chris Dixon evil. said the one thing you could say about Facebook though is it is still founder led. Of all the other, you know, fangs out there. You know that one at least is still has Mark Zuckerberg, it, the original founder, at its helm.
2: I mean, you could have said that about 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 Twitter uh, until this morning, Not right? True. <laughs> true. So it's I, I I just feel like, but you know, okay, you said they're evil, right?
0: It's like uh, don't evil companies do fairly well, right? Like, isn't isn't the corporation kind of a, a they do a for shareholders like a, a psychopath? Like and absolutely, that's why it's partially absolutely. successful. And
2: I, and I think a lot of shareholders are going to be be very happy. Uh, yeah, but we're flipping this, right? You, there's this world now where it was about optimizing. Um, the outcome of your business should be optimized for the most revenue per user, right? And and now it's about really putting the community in the forefront of this and saying, how can we build the best possible experience for the user? And they will b- bring value back to us. you know. So and, in Web3, users
0: as the product doesn't work anymore.
2: That's right. That's right. I think users users need to be the ones that are more of the decision makers and they're actually helping define the product but they're not what's for sale. So that's I think that's where where this thing whole thing gets flipped. If it works, if it's the the issue we have here is that there's a lot of like um it's early days. So I'll give you an example. You could not build Twitter on any web3 architecture as it exists today at the scale they're at today it just would not work like totally. na- even even if you want to say solana at fifty thousand transactions a second whatever it may be it's not even close it, yeah it's just not gonna it, we need c- centralized um infrastructure right now so i think we're still a few years out from that dream happening but there there'll be bridges and to get us there um i'm a fan of this idea that there is going to be a hybrid approach And I believe that there are a lot of things that we should absolutely have be decentralized. But then there are centralized organizations that actually do things quite well. Like, you know, I don't know that I would ever send my mom to Uniswap or to Sushi or something like that, right? Like, I'm just – she doesn't want to go there, you know? But – that said if wells fargo had a way for her to on-ramp into crypto in a way that she understood i would say mom yeah why don't you click that button that says allocate two percent of my holdings into crypto in a way that is just like she doesn't have to think about private keys right and i think that we have to remember that the there there's a pretty large majority of people out there that are never going to be comfortable holding their private keys and and I like their the idea of there being customer service for certain individuals when they need it, right? So uh, it's it's always gonna be a hybrid. There's always going to be a Pepsi for every coke, right? there's there's gonna be multiple uh, winners out here. It's not a winner take all market. I believe that when it comes to infrastructure, and um, uh, support services, and also when it comes to coins. I don't think this is a Bitcoin or Ethereum take-all. Like, I I think there's going to be multiple winners here for different use cases. There's going to be purpose-built blockchains that are more performant for certain types of activities, right? And I just... I I just think when I think of like some of the NFT stuff with flow or just, um, you know, some of the stuff that that Solana is doing and others, like I, I, yeah, it's hard, it's hard for me to be a laser eye. I'm I'm not a big fan of laser eyes. I I think they're, they exclude too many people or too many ideas. You mean that literally the meme or do you mean like laser eyes? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just that, like whenever I see the meme, I'm just like, you're excluding someone. Whenever you have a certain color laser eyes, you're excluding something. And for me, this is all about being inclusive. Like how many, how many people can we bring along for the ride? And that doesn't mean, I love Ethereum and I love Bitcoin and Solana and I have a bunch of chains. There's a lot of shit out there. Don't get me wrong. Like when I look at some of the stuff that's out there, there's a lot that I avoid, but I, I just feel like this is an expansive pie and we need to to think about how can we bridge and include versus exclude. Something you said, you said the word,
1: the hybrid approach, and I want to unpack that a little bit. And th- there are plenty of platforms out there that I think are particularly conducive to a hybrid approach. Facebook not being one of them. Discord definitely being one of them. And we know that Reddit is like really going full steam ahead with integrating tokens. Even Discord, the way that Discord set up, Discord is already a token. Company Like if you want to get into the bankless DAO Discord, you got to have 35,000 bank tokens, right? And so like regardless of whether they actually formally put that into the application, like Discord is a Web3 platform for the communities that have integrated them. And so there seems to be a lot of these Web2 companies that have leaned in towards the community brings the value and we are here to incentivize the community And now there's room for them to really just more formalize that and let the community start to take that in their own direction. So I'm I'm wondering if you are seeing like a a schism between the Web2 companies where there's the Web2, which is like Twitter and Facebook that are kind of not really, they don't really have the surface area to do Web3 stuff. And then there's things like Discord and Reddit, which do have the surface area to do Web3 stuff, but they're still Web2. So making
2: maybe they're more like Web 2.5. Do you see like the future kind of coming in this direction? It's interesting because, you know, you say Reddit's full steam ahead on on their token. But I, 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 would argue, I would argue they've been talking about this for a while now. You know, it's been a year and a half, maybe two years. Like, I think a better approach for a lot of these companies is just going to say, listen, um, almost like Discord in some sense. And that you say, we don't know what you're going to do with this in the Web3 world. We have some ideas of what we might want to do. You know, Jack had some ideas for integrating payments and doing some things inside of Twitter. But the best approach here is really just to open it up provide some APIs and some SDKs that allow you to go in and extend it in new and interesting ways. Like the only reason why you're powering the whole bankless access on Discord is not because of Discord at all. It's because it got extended by, you know, a third party application that allows you to verify how many tokens are in someone's wallet, right? So I think a lot of the things that, uh, the ways though, that you can win as a Web two company is to actually give power again back to the community to extend the product in in, in new ways, and that they'll be the first to do it. And I think the most interesting innovation is going to come by tens of thousands of developers thinking of what to do with your product next, not just the handful of engineers and product people you have you know, working in your in your centralized organization.
0: It's funny that you say that, it's like, it's kind of like back in the video gaming world where how sometimes the mods become like better than the actual game itself. Like I remember the, like Half-Life 2, just like, right. you know, back in the day and Counter-Strike was originally a mod for Half-Life 2 that, you know, somebody created, right? Totally. And it was like a better game in a lot of ways, right? And so like what you're advocating for is like, hey, Web 2 companies, you don't have to be the center of top-down innovation here. You don't have to decide every feature, just open it up so that the community can mod, right? Right? It's like, you know, Discord having the ability to like maybe add tokens as mods, add its own MetaMask login as a mod, this sort of thing is how you think innovation, how Web2 companies will cross the chasm to Web3.
2: That sounds right to me. I mean, it's our early days with all this, but I mean, that's what we've been seeing that's been working so far.
0: Can we talk about your story a little bit, Kevin, here with crypto? So I know you've been knowledgeable about Bitcoin since the early days, right? In the early days when it when it kind of came out, it seems also that you've had a renewed interest over the last, I don't know, year or so, 18 months or so, maybe partially through NFTs, but just walk us through that. So when did you first uncover crypto? And it's like, I think a lot of people So if you're anything like me, it took like two punches, right? It was like a one, two combo punch. First was the Bitcoin thing, and I was like, oh, that's cool, but what can I do with Bitcoin? Well, you can hold it, Ryan. So I held it, you know, and that was it. But then it really took for me. It was like Ethereum and DeFi and understanding that world of smart contracts. The second punch down the rabbit hole, and then then I was like, I'm all in. Like it's over for me. It's like yeah. bye bye hobbies, bye bye life. I'm crypto now. This is what I do. Was your journey somewhat like that? Did you have kind of like uh you know two opportunities at it, or uh, has it been like I guess wearing at you gradually? What's the story?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you, I think about when. I first started getting into to Bitcoin in the early days, like twenty eleven ish. It was it was one of those things where, um, you know, I was downloading the entire blockchain back then and, and running it on <laughs> locally because that's what you did. Um, and I was one of those people that sadly, I mean, we all have this story. We bought, we tripled. You're like, I'm out, yeah. you know, and then you just went back out to Fiat and then you're like, Oh wait, I'm back in again. Cause this is going to stay. And then you r- rinse and repeat, right? Do that cycle like five times. And then finally something kind of clicks where you just realize that something is so big and has so much momentum that this is a snowball that's just going to continue to roll down the hill. And it's like you, for, for me, um, it was seeing that and just kind of realizing, like, wait a second, I don't have to sell during the next downturn. I can actually just buy more. And that's probably a better <laughs> idea, you know? And, and just. And you can only do that if you believe it'll last more than one day, like right. more than one cycle. Right. right? And uh, well, once you see enough cycles, it, it's funny when I see these little bumps in the market now, they don't even phase me. They used to really upset yeah. me. I remember like waking up at like 2 a.m. being like, oh, crap, what's Ethereum at? Oh, crap, it's back down to $75. Like, oh, no, like, you know, yeah. And and now I'm just like, oh, yeah, so so what? Like, okay, a month will go by, two months will go by. Maybe it's going to be six. Uh, It'll recover. It's going to be fine because this is the future. And by the way, if you're new here, that is the goal. Like if you're new to crypto is
0: do what Kevin is suggesting, become volatility proof. That is like the best armor you can have. Learn to love the volatility. Learn to ignore it. Yeah,
2: yeah. I I think that it's once you can kind of, I think it's right-sizing the investment for for yourself personally is a big piece of that. Just so that if you do see something get chopped by 20, 30, 40%, you're not freaking out. Right. Like it's, I have a lot of friends that have lost a lot of money because they put too much in. And then when it got chopped, they were like, I'm going to lose my house. That's not where you want to be. Right. So it's, it's just, if you can right size it to where it it's like, you consider it like a crazy weekend in Vegas. And if it does go down 40%, you're fine. Then, um, that for me was a big shift then like you, I just saw um I guess it's it's there was this there there was this thing that I, I had to understand and I applied it to to private kind of equities initially, where the best strategy is always to just invest in the inevitable. Like what, what is going to happen the next five, 10, 15 years from now? And so that started with electric cars and realizing that, or Amazon with EC2 and their web services and how that was scaling out when people were going um uh cloud versus just racking their own servers. And then, you know, I realized, like, this idea of there being blockchain and a digital currency. Like, if you were starting a new country today, would you go buy printing presses? Would you really? Would you? Like, everyone has <laughs> smartphones. Like, no one's, like, how are the printing press companies? Like, the, 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 there's only a few of them left. I know that actually there was a winery that I, was, um, I, was, I went to that they were buying printing, the old printing presses for currencies to, like, micro print the winery labels to prevent like fraud, but they're, no they're available. Like you can just like buy them. Like you these can old buy printing money presses. printing presses yeah, out there the old on one. the market. Yeah, totally.
0: Wow. Hmm. seems like that would be like proprietary, uh, you know, I don't know but if I it guess was US based. Ones. Yeah,
2: exactly. It was some of the older, older tech that was out there, but, uh, it was just fascinating to me that they're obviously they're printing less and less money these days because people are going digital, but, <laughs> Just knowing that the future is going to be, you're going to be able to move money, you know, internationally in a matter of seconds. Blockchain's not going away. This is the technology that's here to stay. And once you swallow that, it, it, and then you start to see DeFi unroll, that the whole the, the whole DeFi movement when that kicked off, I was like, wow, this, there's so many other potential use cases for this technology. We're in like probably first pitch, first inning here of just seeing where this is going to go. And that that's when I swallowed the pill and I was like all in. So what's more interesting to you or what do you think made you go
0: more all in, Kevin? Was it DeFi or was it NFTs?
2: It started off as, as DeFi and it was just, you know, at True Ventures where I work as a partner over there, we, we don't publicly talk about a lot of our investments, but we do quite a bit. In, in cryptocurrency. So, you know, I'd say this year alone, we've probably invested, I'd say, 75 million or so into new crypto startups. And DeFi is is something that we've been a big part of, um, whether, you know, it be the Aves of the world or you name it over the last couple of years. So it's something that we track internally quite closely. And that was the big aha kind of big use case that I was looking for that was more than just a store of value. And so when, when you know, there was a lot of different, um, and there still continues to be a lot of different things that people are playing around with smart contracts and what can they do uh, you know, what can we fractionalize? What can we, you know, there's all these different I've seen I'm seeing home loans now that are fractionalized. There's like a, a whole slew of different things that are happening that are interesting. But I think the first kind of breakout, I, I'm sure you all would probably agree, was was the, when DeFi started to break out. That was the first use case outside of a store of value that I was like, oh, this makes a ton of sense. It's just more efficient. And it's, it's getting, you know, all of the margin is going away from big banks and they're going, it's being delivered back to the individuals. Like, this is amazing. So that, that's what got me really excited. I want to like uh, underscore
0: your point here about the inevitability of this, right? You said as an investor, you're always looking for, you know, technology trends, things that are inevitable, right? Because that feels like a rock solid investment to you. Some people aren't there yet, Kevin, with DeFi, Okay. They're at the stage uh, where they still think it's a, a toy. They still think it's got narrow set of use cases. They still think it's just for a niche audience, that sort of thing. They'd say the same thing about NFTs. What gives you the confidence to think that DeFi and NFTs
2: are so inevitable? Well, I mean, there's one. I would say this is that's a fantastic thing that not everyone is there because if everyone is there, it'd be completely de risks and there'd be no up- upside for us, right? <laughs> right? Like it's it's awesome that we're in the early innings of this because that's where you capture the most upside. You know, when I was an angel investor in Twitter or Square or some of these others. Back in the day, people thought it was like a silly little messaging platform when we were doing Twitter. They're like, you just tell your friends where you're at with that thing. Like, well, that's never going to get that big. And people laughed at it. They always laugh at it. You know, they always say that this is never going to. But but it, part of your job as an investor is kind of projecting out if this works, how big will it become and and why will it work? And so when I when I think about, you know, why people aren't there yet, it's they don't quite see the efficiency that I think that this whole idea of smart contracts brings into the equation and just how much bloat there is. You know, I have friends that work at traditional in traditional finance that are like wanting to get out of it and get it in DeFi as fast as possible because they sit around there at their desks at, you know, Goldman or or, or Morgan Stanley. And they're like, what are these people doing? Like, there's just so much, like there's so much fat to be trimmed there and it's all going to go to DeFi and it's all going to be programmed. It's just you know, it, uh, it's like the rise of AI. Like there's uh, so many jobs, unfortunately, are getting automated away. I would say, unfortunately and fortunately, unfortunately in that it's it's a shame because we're losing a lot of great middle class jobs. I would say, fortunately, in that some of this automation is actually really helpful. Like when you can have AI go in and um, analyze and detect lung cancer uh, faster and better than an individual human. like That's a great innovation, right? But that, that kills jobs. So I would say the same thing is coming to the banking industry. and And we're going to see the automation and usage of smart contracts just get rid of all of that extra crud that has been sitting there in the system Um, I mean, take a look at the balance sheets of these big banks. They have a shit ton of money. And they're just like, they're making so much money because where is that coming from? It's coming out of the, that could be going back to the consumer. And that's the promise of DeFi. And when I think about, okay, as a consumer what do I want? Do I want the banks to have more money or do I want to have more money? Like it's no (laughs) brainer. Consumers, when the tooling is right and it gets easy enough for the average person to to take part in, and that might be via Square. It might just be, you know, I have this, this, there's going to be, um, again, with the how do Web 2 companies bridge to Web 3, there's going to be um, the risky way or the do it yourself way which is all of us we're like okay we're we're hardcore into crypto we can go in there we have no problem interacting with smart contracts we want that 8 9 10 12% and we're willing to to play that game right and then there's the maybe i just want 5% mm. and i and i'm going to do that via square the cash app and i'm just like I don't know, but there's this high yield crypto savings account that if I tap two taps with my phone on my iPhone, I'm getting 5%. And that'll probably be the on ramp for a lot of people. And then there's the do-it-yourselfers that'll, that'll go the extra step. So I, I think we're going to see a whole slew of different things. And then there's the, going to be the big banks that just don't get it at all. And they're going to go kicking and screaming out of this market. And they're the ones that are going to be the most screwed in the, in the long, long run. I think it's, you're going to see a lot of Web 2 companies actually do quite well in the space because the, there's, there's still some innovation there versus them being big, old, you know, multi-hundred-year-old banks.
1: So, Kevin, you pay attention to a lot of things, not just DeFi, but you're also into NFTs, but also just outside of crypto, you're kind of the Tim Ferriss type where you're also into like health sciences. You're into a lot of different things. So,
2: I blame Tim for a lot of that, but yeah. That's, <laughs> that,
1: that <sounds> like- <laughs> Too many interests. <laughs> um, so, but now that especially with NFTs just taking the crypto world by storm. How much of your day, of your, of your time, of your mental resources are you allocating towards crypto? Has it kind of subsumed your life like it's subsumed ours? Yeah. yeah. It's a, Has there been a flippening?
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's been a flippening for sure. It's 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 hard because I have two kids too. So mm-hmm. it's like, I got to balance that as well. But I would say, um, you know, for my day job as a venture capitalist, it's it's been interesting in that um, it started off really focusing on um, you know, layer one chains, and then kind of some of the DeFi related projects, and some of the layer two scaling solutions that are coming to Ethereum, and then um, we did a lot of investing in and around those arenas, and then NFTs just kind of really hit me hard at, in January of this year, and um, I went, I, I, I like went all in, and so that is where I spend the majority of my time nowadays, and. I do that because um, we invest in that area. I can't. I'm trying to think about how much I can actually disclose of the stuff that we're doing over true, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll come out and say it. We are going to, as a venture company, hold NFTs on our books. Like we will hold in custody actual NFTs and own them as um, digital assets for our LPs. Wow! So um, that's that's happening, and so that's. That's coming very soon. We already, you know, I, I led Art Blocks last round. Every
1: single person that owns an NFT is like, oh, which one? Which one is yeah. it, Kevin? Which ones do you <laughs> well, own? It's <laughs> funny
2: because we, we have to be really careful. So I'll give you an example. Like, um, let's just say, you know, our, our fund is 750 million right now. Let's say our next fund is a, a billion plus. Um, let's say we earmark 50 to 75 to 100 million dollars just for NFT purchases. Like I don't want to crush the individual investor here, so I have to be really careful when I and tread lightly when I go into these markets. Like I'm not about lifting the floors here. We're not about flipping pieces. When we buy and hold an NFT, we'll do it for a decade. You know, it's like what this is um, about being patient capital. Like that's the way that True's always operated, and that's part of the reason why I do love the firm. But I think we're gonna go and. And we'll probably buy up a lot of the, you know, blue chip NFTs at this point. There's a lot of like, you know, whether it be the Autoglyphs or the CryptoPunks or now Bored Apes I put in that category. Um, There's, you know, some of the early kind of artists that were, whether it be the, um, you know, Hakataos or X Copies or, you know, just a lot of the really early Mm -hmm. um, individual artists. So those will be one of one works. Um so it's it's a it's a little bit of everything, but in a in a responsible way that doesn't crush the average consumer. So let's say that there's a new PFP project that is really interesting. And I'm not a huge fan of PFP projects, but every once in a while I'll 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 get the bug and I'll go in on one. We're not gonna go and buy a hundred of them, right? We probably go in and buy, you know, five Mm -hmm. and and just do that a lot and and not crush the initial launch, but more just either buy um, from individuals at a later point in time. So it's 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 tricky. But mm-hmm. then again, we're not deploying all this capital at once either. So you right. have to imagine that when you do get that big of a budget, you go out and deploy that over a couple of years, uh, maybe two and a half years or so.
1: So NFTs are really, really new. And we have so much to talk about with NFTs. So you're talking about going in and you know putting NFTs on the balance sheet as like a treasury asset, as an investment, but they're so new. What makes you think that they are actually like... Maybe NFTs as a concept is here to stay forever. But the whole thing about like the NFTs industry is that there isn't any one specific NFT that represents the whole industry. It's always like moving. They're kind of like fads. So like it makes really a ton of sense for investors to invest in the long term. But why do you think NFTs are actually like the long term thing? Like maybe it's just like people's attention move from NFT to NFT to NFT. Why? What gives you the conviction that it's actually the NFTs are actually going to be the cool NFTs that we care about in five to ten years? How do you know, Kevin? You're not buying Beanie Babies, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. It, it's a good question. I, I think there's a, a couple things there to unpack, um, and obviously NFTs as a as a term is a kind of a blanket category they just encompass so many different projects, right? So there's like, uh, and you can- It's just a token standard. Yeah, it's just a token standard, right? So they can be utility NFTs. They're used to unlock and gate access to certain things. Um, There's a thousand different things that this type of token standard can be applied to. Uh, I, I would say to answer your question though, there are the initial projects that are the first, like the the first to have done something technical. And I think that historically, when we look back Mm -hmm. on some of these projects, um, you know, whether it be 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years from now, uh, there will be value in the people that have pulled off something technically interesting for the very first time. So, you know, when, um, crypto punks launched they kind of really helped they there was no erc 721 standard like there was no there but they helped define that right so i think historically that's a very important project and same with autoglyphs being the very first kind of on chain fully on chain nft like there's there's um these types of projects i believe will always hold their value if not continue to rise from where they are today so we will be thoughtfully going in and, and looking for these first, like who are the, the early artists doing really interesting things in the space and holding them as kind of more of the blue chip NFTs. And I would say that applies to artists as well. So in some sense, you know, I think that there's a lot of froth in the PFP 10,000 market. Uh, you know, when you take a look at new projects dropping every other week you're that is not sustainable that is beanie baby land that's where the beanie babies live is all in that because it's it, it's basically um you know it reminds me of the ICO craze do you remember the ICO back in the ICO days it was like oh yeah, oh,
1: yeah. how can you can forget yeah, yeah
2: so so okay l- l- I'll give you the ICO playbook fantastic landing page some cool looking graphics uh white paper link of course got to have that yeah. Um, list of the team there, uh, and where they went to school or where they've worked at previously. Hopefully somebody either worked at Google or had a cousin that worked at Google. Didn't really matter, <laughs> but it had to be on that page. Right. And, <laughs> and then there was a, to- a token sale that happened, a countdown timer and get in now. This is the future per-
1: percentage filled. Yeah. yeah. 86% filled. Exactly. Yeah, right. So that mm-hmm.
2: was the playbook. And that's kind of what we're seeing with the, the the PFP side of things as well. There's a roadmap now with PFPs. Are, well, you'll see, we plan on doing this with them. We're going to do commercial licensing. We're going to do comic books with them. We're going to do who knows what. Like, it's just like, that's, there's a backstory and a lore that has to go with them now. So they're these little business units, right? I am less bullish on those because there are so many of them, and it's a, it's the same And that that playbook is getting pretty tired. Again, who are the ones that did that first? You got the Bored Apes, the CryptoPunks, the Cool Cats, some of these earlier ones that I think will always have that, that, that staying power because they were so early in that space. So those are the ones I'm a little bit more excited about. Um, less so about the new ones that are dropping every other week because there's just a lot of noise in there. But then I think I, I go back to like, you know, who are the artists behind some of these projects? So I'm more interested in the individual artists, like the X copies of the world and some of the other like really well-known artists and more so on the generative side as well. I think we have finally have seen the emergence of a, a new art form. Not that generative art hasn't been out for, for, for many years. It's just been a really hard thing to capture. There's never been a way to capture generative art back in the day I remember going to art installations like in the early two thousands in San Francisco that were generative, and they'd be like, "Hey, look at this! Like, my computer is doing this really cool generative art," and you could actually like buy the little computer, and like have it and as like a one of one or whatever. And then, like of course, the computer dies or whatever, right? So you got to like get a hold of the artist and figure out how to recreate it. And it was there was no um, lasting way, no durable way to actually capture this. And so I'm I'm pretty excited about some of the early generative art and that it can actually be captured on the blockchain for the first time and stored and transferred. So that's really exciting. So I, I guess I would say. There's no easy answer to your question. I think it's it is, but you have to be in it all the time and kind of pay attention to who the emerging artists are, um, what they're doing that's unique and novel, and then back those individuals. So sometimes that means buying their drop. sometimes it means commissioning one of ones with them. Um, you know, and so that's kind of what I've been paying attention to is 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 really less about, the the insert animal character times ten thousand with a, fu- a funky hat and, and more about individual artists unique stuff on the generative side unique stuff that's coming on the music side like Mike Shinoda from Linkin Park has a really interesting drop that's coming out here in like three days on the on the music side that's that's generative um, I I just I that and the idea of being able to break up rights and 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 have those as NFTs so that I can own Future royalties uh, for some for some music or other things that are happening in NFTs, like it's all just so new, and it, it is scary. It is it is it, there are certainly going to be beanie babies in this whole mix, but there's also going to be some really lasting breakouts that that I don't want to miss. So I'm gonna play the game, and I will absolutely get burnt. In the world of venture capital, we expect about eight out of ten investments to go to zero. And that's kind of what the game we're playing here as well in in an NFT land is the vast majority of them are going to go to next to nothing, but there will be some, some, some big players that emerge. I think
0: I just made a connection here. This is kind of one of the dots I felt like was connected for me. This episode is going back to true, right? You guys are a venture capital firm. And so some people might ask, why are you investing in collectibles? That'd be like, you know, your venture arm saying, yeah, we're going to, you know, go buy some Picassos, but also we're going to invest in like the New York emerging artist space and, and find the best like paintings in the market and kind of double down on that. It's very different than investing in a company, right? You're investing in a collectible and, um, you're not investing in a cash flow, a future cash flow. So on the surface, it feels like it's kind of a different thing. But here's the dot that was just connected for me is venture is all about finding individual, unique entrepreneurs and their teams and investing in them. And something you just said there about NFTs that you're interested in, Kevin, is we find the artist, we find the creator, and we back the creator. We back the artist. Right. Absolutely. That to me is the common denominator because what does venture do? The same thing that a good NFT curator investor does is find unique individuals, right, and invest in them. Whether it's an entrepreneur or a creator in crypto in Web three, they're kind of fusing to become one and the same. Right, and so that's what you're doing. The same kind of thing that your venture firm has always done. You're just bringing that from entrepreneur to creator. And finding the artists in the NFT space. Right.
2: So, do you see it that way too, Ryan? You, yeah, you absolutely nailed it. Because we've always said internally it, that we find the best entrepreneurs and we let them lead us into new markets. So they're always the ones. I would say like probably eighty plus percent, ninety plus percent of the new deals that we do at True are just founder referrals going back to us. And so we're we, we're watching our founders move into crypto, move into DeFi, move into NFTs, and you know it's it's both. Um, how can we support and back the platforms, you know, so our investment in art blocks, right. On the generative side. Um, and then how can we support the individual artists? Cause they are just entrepreneurs and then also providing them with resources, you know, like for a lot of these people, it's funny. I've, I've probably interviewed uh, over a dozen, uh, pretty well-known NFT artists now on proof. And I would say that, um, the vast majority of them, this is life-changing money for them. They have never mm-hmm. experienced anything like this in their life, and they're 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 kind of like blown away and scared and freaked out at the same time. And there's mental health issues that go around this. There is just a, there's a roller coaster of emotions that come with this whole new world, including like I had a, a artist friend that just doesn't understand key management and (laughs) lost $50,000 right after they did a sale. And it was because, you know, they're artists, you know, they, they, they don't, they, they haven't been trained up technically. So it's like, when we think about this at true, it's like, we have to provide the same way that we've always provided additional resources, the way that you know a lot of other venture firms do, like for our entrepreneurs. Like we have to provide it for artists as well. So we have to figure out what is the product, at true that we can build for them to help support them on the, on this journey. So that's that's part of the part of how we think about it. As,
0: how yeah. badass is it though that the creators for change, the artists for change, get to be the rock stars
2: of this movement, right? It's so cool. And they're getting royalties and it's baked into the smart contract. It's so cool. And they're getting paid over and over again. And then they're going out and they're backing other artists, which, so we're seeing this kind of Renaissance thing that's happening. Um, I, I believe this is lasting. It's here to stay. Uh, it, but like with any new market, like we saw with the ICO days or anything else, there's, there's going to be some, some, I wouldn't call them scammers, but it, there's just going to be some fad to it, you know, baked in. And it's a, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a, a rush to see how quickly someone can launch a new project. And just it's, it's buyer beware. You just really have to say and close your eyes and say, Do, does this team have what it takes? Do they, are they in this for the, this quick sale? Or are they going to be in this to build something that's that's lasting and durable, and that's um, that's a hard one to answer.
1: One of my favorite experiences I've had recently was when I was at NFT NYC, and I went to an in real life NFT gallery where you could actually like meet the artists and, and talk to them, and they could talk to you about their art as if it was just you know the normal art world, which now this is the normal art world. And so I met this guy and I bought, I like swept the floor on all of his, like he minted 10 one of ones and I bought all of them. And then I met up with a guy the next day for like breakfast just to get to know the guy, because now I'm an investor in this artist. (laughs) And so I I wanted to get to know him. Like I wanted to get to know the guy that I put a bunch of my ether. I gave him a bunch of my ether, gave him a bunch uh, bunch of the art. And like, I was just like blown away by some of the same language that we use to discuss things was some of the same language that venture funds, when they invest in businesses or projects, would also use. And so he was talking about Well, now that I have these NFTs that are out there, I have some sort of like responsibility to my investors to keep on producing more art because they want me to blow up, Mm -hmm. right? Like they want me to become known as an artist. And it's the same thing as when like you bring on angel investors into your startup idea. Like the angel investors, it's like an advisorship. They want to help you also blow up and become very, very successful. And the conversation was really just dividing lines between what is a financial a startup versus what is an artist startup is like becoming very, very blurred. And the relationships between early seed investments or just buying art from an artist, they're starting to become the same things. So you want to see the artists succeed. You want to do your best to help those artists succeed because you are now have financial exposure to these artists. And like the parallels are almost the exact same thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then you add in DAOs on top of that, which you can join. Those are just big collections of these people coming together around a movement or, you know, I'm in uh, a NFT DAO called Fl- Flamingo DAO, mm. and we, we basically, um, you know, have these weekly calls where we get together and talk about all the new and up and coming artists and who we want to back and, um, you know, how much do we want to allocate per new project. And it's just a really fun process, but everyone kind of collectively comes together to support and help. Uh, increase the awareness of these new artists that are coming out.
1: And this very much feels like the ethos that we've been hammering about crypto from day one is self-sovereignty, right? Like, we don't need some top-down platform to support this economy. We can do it ourselves. Yeah. Like We don't need to have this gatekeeping about, like, who controls, like, Spotify controlling all the musicians. We can figure out how to connect the investors and the artists and in the same space at the same time, using the same new money and have these economies be bootstrapped by themselves. Have like the you talked about how the artist would receive life-changing money and then they would go buy other artists' art, right? And start to generate this flywheel of some internally native economy.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah, it that's happening. And then the other crazy thing though, and this is funny because I'm a VC and I'm saying this, is like in some sense. VCs have to be very careful because they could uh, go away <laughs> yeah. or, or quite a few of them could go away because you have these DAOs that are forming up that are better at fundraising, they're faster at decision-making, and they uh, are, are really powered by the people versus it just being a handful of unknown LPs that are backing venture capitalists, right? So it's kind of a a new way. So we're, we're kind of, you know, true, we, we're always thinking about, how can we reinvent ourselves? And so for us, you know, we've done a, a, some things we never thought we'd do. One, we've invested in DAOs directly, which is crazy. Uh, we we d- didn't know that was even gonna be a thing for us here just a couple of years ago. We've backed anonymous founders now, which is nuts. Like we've backed somebody by the name of Shade, which is like the shade from a tree. Mm-hmm. Like we've like had a, anonymous founders that we've given money to. Um, but we have to think about also how to be... You know, there was this old model in VC where you had to come in and you would try and buy up twenty percent of a company. That was kind of like you know all the the big VCs. That was kind of their target ownership for for most companies. I, I, many times I push back on founders and say you do not want that much venture capital. Don't muddy the waters here. Like have involve more DAOs, less VC, more DAOs, right? And and let's let's figure out how we can get that community support behind you versus it just being. A handful of small VCs that may not even have the sway that you want in this new world, right? So, in some sense, it's like if you're getting a project off the ground, do you want five VCs that barely understand what you're doing to invest, or would you rather have five DAOs, each with you know, hundreds of members that are going to be your best brand advocates and champions, right? Yeah. And so... Um, your Twitter armies. Yeah. So we're treading very lightly and we want to make sure that we don't own too much. So we actually try and dial back. Uh, you know, when, when a new net, like if we're buying into a coin, uh, you know, sometimes when I see these VCs that own, you know, 10, 20% of a, of a coin and you see this big chunk, you see that pie chart when you go into, mm-hmm. you know, like... Uh, oh, scan, the, right? Yeah, either mm-hmm. scan. Yeah. And you see, they're like, oh, there's... There's so and so VC and this massive chunk of the pie, and you're just like, it doesn't feel right, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, we always like we talk about single digit percentages. Like if if it's a new network launching, it's like oftentimes like two or three percent, not 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 getting greedy and really trying to put actually have a more d- diversified ownership than than less. So. there's a whole new world out here and a whole new way for vcs to think about this and i think a lot of them just aren't going to get it and they won't adapt and um it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few years
1: yeah those are the vcs that invest in facebook in order to get exposure to the metaverse
2: yeah
0: exactly i just think to myself that double digit pie chart you know just screams kind of buy my bags right it doesn't scream like i'm here for the community it sends a different message But I want to go back to, uh, you know, NFTs as an investment and your breakdown earlier was pretty helpful. Kevin, were you talking about like PFP, NFTs, and then one of ones? And part of what you said is like, hey, you know, your investment style is to, you want to own the blue chips. Of the previous revolutions, right? You know, the projects that did something new for the first time. But then you also want to look for what are the next revolutions going to be? Right. And so I think that's where we are in the NFT space. It's like we're figuring out what we do next with this NFT, this ERC 721 standard. And we've done some PFP things, we've seen one of one arts. What What's next in your mind? Do you think it's like utility access-based NFTs? There's been some buzz around that. Maybe we could define it and get into it. What's your take on celebrity NFTs? Do you think mainstream is going to jump in here? What's your take on the next big thing to get excited about in the NFT space? you have any ideas?
2: Oh, Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to impact there. I, I think that on the celebrity NFT front, um, I worry that those are probably the worst investments that are out there <laughs> because it's I there's a lot of it's funny. I was talking to uh, to to bring up uh, Mike Schnoda um, from from Lincoln Park. I was talking to him uh, on my podcast recently and we're there's we're talking about celebrity NFTs and. One of the things I respect about him is he didn't jump into this, even though he was like way on the stream, but almost before anyone else, but he didn't jump into this because he saw it as kind of like the the obvious thing. Like the obvious thing if you're a celebrity is just to slap your name on an NFT, right? And he's like, that's not interesting to me. That's the obvious thing. And, and oftentimes, sadly, it's not even the actual celebrities that are doing the artwork. So they'll, they'll come in, They'll work with uh, and they'll commission some artwork to be done, and then they'll put their name on it, right? And that's not that. That's just a collaboration with someone that's not really that interesting to me. It just it just smells like a grab for quick cash, and so I I tend to avoid that type of stuff. Um, the more interesting projects are are the ones that, you know, that I'm seeing that are around what can we do with NFTs in terms of them being a more kind of dynamic entity versus just a static one. So, you know, some people are working with multiple NFTs to combine them and burn them to create new original works of art. Um, Some people are trying to figure out how can I pipe in kind of live data into the NFTs themselves so that they change and evolve over time um, based on, you know, it could be environmental conditions, it could be a whole slew of different things that gets piped into there. So just looking at the artists that are willing to say, I see this as something that's programmable, and and what can be what can be done here. So that's the kind of stuff that I get pretty excited about. Is some of those mechanics, um, and that's not to say that you should go out and just because something is is being done for the first time, you should go out and and, and buy it. But it does kind of grab my attention, and and it makes me consider whether or not it's a project worth uh, that kind of further investigation. Um, I've seen some really interesting stuff, like Tom Sachs did something recently, like well-known artists that are coming into the space that say, I already have a following in the kind of trad art world, but I'm now want to embrace NFTs, but not just to make NFTs, but do something new. And so when Tom Sachs came out with his Rocket Factory... Are you guys familiar with that NFT series at all? No, I I think I've heard of it, but I can't even visualize it. So walk us through it. So yeah, this is a really fun one. So, you know, traditional artist has a great following, sells, you know, plenty of artwork on the more traditional art side, came in and said, okay, I'm going to make a rocket factory. So what is a rocket factory? So you have to made all these individual kind of cones like the top of a rocket, all these individual different bodies of the rocket and these different tails of the rocket. So these are three separate NFTs. There you go. So is this
0: it here, Kevin?
2: That's it. So you probably you may have seen the news where Budweiser actually bought one of these rockets. Right. Oh, so that's yeah, I heard right. Right, right, right. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you claim the different components and then you merge them. It burns the individual NFTs and creates your final rocket. Now, that's cool. the question is, do you want to keep your final rocket as an NFT or do you actually want to schedule a launch for your rocket? And if you schedule a launch for your rocket, they actually turn it into a real physical rocket and then launch it. And then they uh, actually film the whole thing. It comes down on its parachute. They ship it back to you, and now you have a Tom Sachs like original, actual physical piece of artwork that is the rocket sitting in your house. So that's amazing. That's amazing. It was just a <laughs> yeah, it's just a fun, different take right. on like how can we uh, play with this idea of digital and physical kind of interacting. Um, another great example here is if you see with these different rockets. Um, that you can do a Franken rocket, which is a different, like a McDonald's nose, a NASA body and a Tiffany and company tail. That's a Franken rocket. A pure rocket would be like all McDonald's up and down or, and of course they didn't get any of the licensing. So all this is done on the, like, this is, it's not, it's not shady. They're not getting sued for it, but you know, they're they, it's not completely Tiffany and company did not endorse this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's just a fun way for an artist to say, "I'm going to play with this world of NFTs that that in a, a new and novel way." And I like projects like this. You know, um, it was it was just a, it's it's just some, uh, trying out do, uh, new and interesting things that haven't been done before. So we'll see more of this done from traditional artists. It's it's a fun thing to to track.
0: So the formula here is you have a, kind of a mainstream artist from trad art. By the way, I didn't know that was a term, trad art, but I, I love that using that. <laughs> And then you combine that with like some novel thing that you can do, almost some utility, mm-hmm. something that is much more innovative than the like copying all the projects that came previously. And that to you is sort of a, a recipe for success. Is there like a utility element to any of this too, right? So like, you know, Gary Vee some of his NFTs, they provide access to conferences, you get some prizes in the mail, it's all sorts of like, other artists have talked about access to Discord, for example. Yeah. Do you think utility is going to increasingly become an important part of the NFT experience?
2: Yeah, but I think this is gonna be the future of monetization for creators with their communities. I think the utility side will really shine. Um, You know, so for example, uh, you know, just to talk about my own, own bags for a second. So I proof, you know, we're going to be launching a utility NFT, um, that will allow you access to just, as you said, like a, a, you know, a podcast with no ads, which I already do no ads anyway, but it'll, it'll, you'll get the podcast early. You get access to the private discord in-person meetups, um, collaborations I do with other artists. Like it's, it's just going to be a whole slew of different things that as a content creator, you just add on value over time as that, that creator. I mean, it's sim- very similar to, to what you all are doing with with your DAO, you know? It's like, how can you take something and and put a fence around it and say, if you're really a true fan, mm-hmm. um, this, you, you're doing it with tokens though, right? 3,500 you have to own, yeah. is that right? 30, yeah.
1: yeah, there's different you, tiers,
0: yeah. This mm-hmm. is kind of separate. It's kind of like, um, you know, our concept was like, launch a DAO with the community we have and see what they make you know, right. and so it's yeah. totally the communities.
1: And it's got a mind of its own.
0: Yeah, it's got a mind of its own, which is a little bit different than I think if we were doing like an NFT of the type you're describing, right. which gets you additional access to things. Yeah, but tell us more about it. And one other comment I think I'll say, I'm curious your perspective on is, we found the tooling to do what you're saying. I don't know how it's been with proof, but like very rudimentary. Like that's right. it's just, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Like there are no shrink wrapped packages to spin out an NFT token. If you're an artist and to create a token gated community and to like add features, your fans, like everything is bespoke and it's difficult.
2: Well, it's getting a lot better. So that's, that's the cool thing is every, uh, I have you heard of unlock protocol? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've heard of unlock. Yes. Yeah. So if you go to unlock dash protocol.com, like this is basically a way to take NFTs and 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 put various things behind these kind of locks that you created. So it's like m- managing membership around NFTs. So you know this will this will allow you to do the, some of the integrations that you were talking about, like where you you block off certain certain content on your blog. And but you're right, it's like really early days for um, for these types of uh, this type of tooling to be done. But you know. I imagine it's just going to uh, it's it's certainly going to be here in the next six months. Like there's so many different entrepreneurs that are working on on kind of creating this. Um, It's it it, and it's very doable, right? All we have to do is look into someone's wallet and say, "Do you hold this NFT? If so, you have access to this resource." So for me, I'm going to be doing a bunch of you know, there's a. I'll probably, um, you know, have a small gallery in New York or L.A. that moves around and travels around. If you want access to the gallery, you bring your phone and you use the app to unlock access with your NFT. You know, like to to get behind that door just by holding this NFT, it's going to be uh, something that we all do. I was talking to Mike Shinoda about this. Like, you know, if he's if you're if you go to 10 of his concerts, do you get a special NFT that allows you early access to the 11th one on forward? Like. Um, this proof of attendance, uh, I'm sure you all have heard of is really interesting. These popes that, that people are collecting, Mm -hmm. um, this, this idea of once you have enough cred in a certain, within a certain organization, um, you know, certain things start to happen. Um, certain resources start to become available. So I'm, I'm really excited for, for NFTs as they're, as, as Gary was very smart to kick that off and say, this is about providing extended access to all the things that I do through, through these NFTs.
1: The era of proof of stake is upon us, and Lido is working to bring proof of stake to everyone. Lido is a decentralized staking protocol that allows users to stake on Ethereum, Terra, and Solana, and receive an interest-bearing token in return. Stake any amount of your ETH to the Lido validating network and receive STETH in return. This STETH can be traded, used as collateral for lending or borrowing, or leveraged on your favorite DeFi protocol. And all this without locking up your ETH in a centralized staking service or exchange. That's what Lido is here to do. Lido makes staking accessible to everyone at the click of a button. By delegating your stake to Lido's network of nodes, you can access the yield offered by proof-of-stake systems and claim your share of network transaction rewards. Do you have 32 ETH and want to stake it to Ethereum, but running a node sounds intimidating? Or maybe you have less than 32 ETH and you need to pool your ETH with others so you can access staking yields. Lido offers a solution to both. Simply go to lido.fi, choose which assets you want to stake and deposit them to the Lido validating network. Lido is making sure proof of stake stays as decentralized as possible and is committed to decentralizing its own validating networks to eventually become a completely permissionless protocol. So if you want to stake your ETH, Terra, or Sol, and get liquidity on your stake, go to lido.fi to get started. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at Gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at Gemini.com slash go bankless.
0: I want to highlight another thing that I'm noticing, Kevin, in your approach to investing in this space is like you're actually going out there and experimenting and doing things, right? So like if you have a thesis that every creator with a fan community is going to have some sort of token gated access, some sort of fan token, whether it's in your C721 and NFT or whether that's another token, the best way to go figure that out is to like, you're a content producer. So you try and experiment. Yeah with what you're doing with proof and like that gives you a lay of the land of okay where's the tooling in terms of maturity what's missing what does an artist actually need to think about when they're launching one of these things to their community and you kind of learn by doing has that been a key part of your your crypto journey and, and your success today
2: oh a hundred percent i think you just have to go out there and play and experiment um as not even just as a creator as anyone one of the the main things that i I talk about on my podcast is you know there's there's so many times where we mention these things and you know you you just you think about playing in this world of DeFi or this world of all these new things that are that are happening and um one of the biggest mistakes that you can make is just to listen to podcasts like you have to go and actually install the software And, and put in, put in 500 bucks, 700 bucks, whatever it may be, even, if, even if it's consider education and, and go test out. And, and it's unfortunate because gas prices can be so high that they eat up everything. Just go but, try it on Polygon you know, or like you,
0: some other, you know, side yeah, chain. You, you got to go Absolutely. kick the
2: tires. Exactly. Mm. And, and you'll, you'll probably lose some money, but it, it is, it's like, it's like buying the best textbooks. Like you're just going to learn so much by doing that. So I'm, I'm a big fan. I know that when I launched this proof NFT i I purposely didn't promise a ton outside of just a couple basic things because I know that over the next three years, I'm gonna probably launch a good dozen or so things that you know half of them will fail, but all uh, have mm-hmm. been the first to have done it. and it'll be like, why not? Let's just try this. What happens if if we if, if this works, you know, and then, also, trying to. You Im- got to
1: leave room to over deliver.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's it. I mean, you guys do this quite well with with all the, the great content that you put out. So, by the way, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I, start, I, I subscribed to your newsletter as of like maybe a year ago or something like that. I started paying for your newsletter. Oh, really? awesome. it's, it's good content. OGs. Nice. Yeah. OG right now. No, there. appreciate
1: it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, do you have the, uh, the Bankless Po app? I don't. You can grab that. If you pay for the newsletter, you get the yeah. Bankless Po app. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Amazing. It'll I didn't know that. It's awesome. Yeah. hmm.
1: Yeah, we actually have one every single year. So you can have the 2021 and now you would get the 2021 one. Oh, that's awesome. The idea is obviously just like marking attendance, like how long have you been around? Right. And as for just like analytics for our customer base, like it really lets us know how much they really care right? Like, oh, you've been around since 2020. You've collected, it's 2025. You've been around since 2020. You have all five Poaps. apps. Like, oh man, you are really committed. And it's a, just a great way to have insights into who your actual community members are.
0: Yeah. And we don't really know what else we're going to do with it. Right. It's kind of the interesting right. thing. It's
2: But you don't have to know, right? right. That's the you cool thing. You don't have it's like to
0: know at the start, right? Maybe
2: five years from now, you'll decide to do something really cool with it for people that have been around with you that long, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. It's definitely an option on the future. So-
1: Kevin, NFTs are insanely fun because of how much surface area they have. They have all of the surface area. That's what they are. Non-fungible tokens means they're going to be super unique. But a lot of people can be bullish on NFTs and not want to like expend the mental bandwidth to like have the upside to them. If somebody came to you and was like, I want exposure to NFTs, but I don't want to have to pick and choose between any of them, how do I get exposure to that? Do you have an answer to that question?
2: Mm, It's a good question. You know, in some sense... um, there is the game like that you kind of alluded to which is the person that pays attention that is like uh, that is buying the latest pfp drops and mm-hmm. they're flipping and they're th- so actively in it that that's the game that you have to right. give up like half your life to or more right, right. and so yeah. i would say that the thing that's really tough is that all of the stuff that we know to be good stuff that meaning that we can look at it and say Gosh, wouldn't it be great if I was able to afford a CryptoPunk or a Board 8 because they're just they're so massive now that they'll just go down in history as as being these these first right that we we've been talking about. Um, the only way I know to play in that arena is and this is, I was talking to my sister about this actually, is just like go and fraction, buy a fractionalized, uh, NFT. So that, that's, mm. that's what a lot of, of folks that can't afford a CryptoPunk are doing is they'll go on like fractionalized.art or there's a, there's a, another one. I know that's actually, it's not out yet, but I, I can talk about it in the next few weeks. But, um, there are these, basically these smart contracts that go in. They take a high-value NFT, they lock it in the smart contract, and they create a token that is um, associated with that NFT, and then you can buy that token. And then, uh, you know, people buy and sell it. It's liquid. It's, you know, they add liquidity um, to Uniswap for that token. And you you can go in and just own one one one-thousandth of a zombie CryptoPunk, right? And so if you, in your head, are thinking like, okay, this is, Something that I believe is going to go up over the next couple of decades, but I can't afford four hundred thousand dollars for a CryptoPunk right now today. Then it's the it's the easiest way to get some exposure to some of these high value assets without actually having to go and you know pony up the cash for for a whole one. So that's the only thing I can think of. Other than that. It's just really about um going in super deep and just understanding and trying to identify who the next, you know, X copy is going to be before they blow up. And I think a lot of that is happening um on Tezos actually. It's that whole hen ecosystem. And all of the, I don't know if you've you've paid much attention to everything that's happening on on uh, Tezos with like object uh, and and hen and these these sites that are just like, so many people are minting on Tezos because, and it kills me to say that. I'm not a huge Tezos fan, but um, primarily because it just, they're having scaling issues like everyone else. And when it slows down, mm-hmm. uh, it, it it kills me. But um, people like it because it's green, it's proof of stake, you know, which obviously right. Ethereum's going there very soon. Yeah. But they a lot of the up and coming artists, when they can go on Tezos and they can mint something for, like that's a, that's a win for them versus having to to go out and deploy their own smart contract or mint for hundreds of dollars. Right. So you see a lot of scrappy up and coming artists that are on, on Tezos that are minting on Tezos. So, um, that for me is kind of where I pick through the up and comers and try and find, you know, really interesting, unique artists, uh, on, on that platform. So that, that would be the place where I would say to spend some time for sure that's some good insight and definitely some good
0: alpha. Some people are asking like, are NFTs really for everyone, right? When like gas fees are so high and it costs so much to mint and, you know, every transaction, like the existing ones are so expensive. So having these like playgrounds, being able to identify the next big thing is super important. But I, I want to zoom out and ask another question because you know earlier in the podcast we were talking about Facebook, right? Which is now Meta. This is Mark Zuckerberg's bet on the metaverse, right? Now we've just been you know spending an hour or so talking about crypto and NFTs with you here, Kevin. And um, I want to know if what we're talking about is actually the metaverse. Like, have we been talking about the metaverse?
2: this entire time. We have been talking about components of the metaverse for sure. Okay,
0: well, what is the metaverse then? How does it come together? How do these components form to create this thing everyone just started talking about in 2021, which is this digital reality? David and I think of it as very much like digital property rights for the individuals, but there are other definitions of this thing. What is the metaverse
2: in your mind? So many people like to think of the metaverse as like this VR experience that is just like, oh, you have to own an Oculus to participate in the metaverse, you know? <laughs> and and for me, I, I would say that I've always been known as a hater of VR. I've always thought it was like very remember when the Wii came out and we all got super excited about like swinging and playing tennis and doing bowling for a little bit? Dude,
0: I remember VR sort of uh, platforms. Like, did not did Sony ever have one at one point in time? Wasn't there some old janky version? Like, it's been the promise, I feel oh, like, for, for every five years. It's always been, yeah, it's just three, five years away.
2: It's a great wow factor. It demo is quite well, right? Like, everybody, everyone can agree that we all can have fun in VR for the first couple hours. And then the question is, does it have that, you know, is it sticky enough to beat out just a couple of friends sitting on a sofa, you know, playing Call of Duty, you know, just with their their standard traditional way, and the answer at this point is no. Um, so, uh,
1: as somebody who's put in fifty plus hours into an Oculus headset playing golf in VR with my friends, I'm gonna go ahead and take the other side of this argument. I think it's very much the social element. That is really what VR has optimized for. It's not really the games; it's playing games with your friends. Sure. And if you have other friends playing games with you, VR is pretty tight.
2: I get that. That's I get that. That is a very fun experience. I think that you are in a very small group of, of people. Like how many mm-hmm. how many people are doing that? What what, what is so? I saw some the, stats the other on the,
1: three people I do it with are in a VR startup, so they're in the industry. Right. See,
2: yeah. the, I've seen mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like uh, concurrent active users in VR, it's like in the tens of thousands. Like it's not it's not mm-hmm. Big, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but mm-hmm. that said, you know, I've played some awesome boxing games. I've done a bunch of these mm-hmm. drawing things with friends. Like, I, I too, I have, I have the latest Oculus sitting upstairs, and it's because I want to give it a shot. Like every two or three mm-hmm. months, somebody will be like, "You got to try this out, right?" But it still hasn't replaced, you know, the standard PlayStation or Xbox right. just sitting there for right. me. But I, I hear you. Like, there's the, and I, and I do believe at some point in the future, it'll be the right. Combination of price, form factor, battery life, all the things like the the nausea stuff, like they'll figure all that stuff out. But in the meantime, I think the metaverse really today for me and everyone defines this a little bit differently, I think of it as more uh, components, reusable components that have a defined open source definition that we can move around to different experiences and platforms. And they could be 2D, they could be 3D, they could be Oculus, they could be whatever... But I, I believe that when I look at what's happening with some of the NFTs and how they're getting wired up, whether it be like the 3D Kongs or the Mii Bits, and how they're creating actual models for them so that they can be used in these kind of metaverses, um, you know, crypto voxels or whatever it may be, or sandbox. Um, it's, it's, I, I don't believe there's going to be kind of one winner take all here where it's going to be like, oh, of course, it's just Facebook. It's, it's That's the metaverse. I think it's going to be a bunch of different experiences on different platforms that we can take our components, own our stuff, and bring it with us and move our it around. Property. Our property, yeah. exactly. So if we have a really cool me bit that we like from Larva Labs, we can move it into five or 10 different games. Um, and seamlessly, it'll just be connecting our wallet and it'll come with us. And I believe, and I hope, that is the future of these digital assets: is we can just quickly and easily move them around through these different worlds. Um, but it's it's really early days. Reusable components you can take with you from environment to
0: environment, right? It's like owning your own inventory. There's almost in the gaming world these are like items. Uh, how important do you think is decentralization? in that definition. I think it's a pretty big piece. Is it like fundamental? Is it like, so, I mean, someone from Facebook might argue that, hey, like Facebook can provide you all of the items and guess what? We created this standard and it's a world adopted standard. It's the Facebook uh, 721, (laughs) the FB721, and you can port it to all of these other ecosystems because they've also adopted this standard. Um, Is that the metaverse or do you think decentralization has to be part of it because without that individuals don't really own anything. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, it's a, it's a, it really depends on how Facebook approaches these digital assets and I don't think they've yet kind of shown their hand here. Um, you know, there was the old school Microsoft way of of saying, "Hey, we're look at us, we're we're like we're friendly, we play with everybody." But in reality, it was kind of like still trying to lock you into their walled garden. Um, I'm probably dating myself, but that was the way Microsoft used to operate. And I I worry that Facebook is kind of kind of optimized for more of that type of world than they will a truly free and open world. So we'll we'll see. I I, I think it's on us as as individuals to, to push the agenda and to say, this is what we demand that it be something where I can take my components elsewhere. And I think it's going to be really difficult, especially for some of the large, larger game manufacturers out there where the bulk of their revenue comes from selling skins and it comes from selling these assets. Why would they want you to bring your own like into their game? Like they're just missing out on revenue. So I think there's a huge opportunity here for indie developers to, to come in and kind of really do some, some work here that, uh, embraces this new tech, like it's going to be web three native folks that are going to get it right. It's, it'll be the, the older ones that already have, this is part of their the revenue stream that are going to be the last to, to want to, to adopt it.
1: Kevin, as we come to a close here, we want to throw some rapid questions your way and we'll kind cool. of just hit on a number of different subjects. You ready for them? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Question number one, are you ever going to go bankless?
2: Um, that would be very difficult for me because I Mm -hmm. believe in a diversified, I I still believe the equities kind of, you know, play a, a part in my overall portfolio construction. And so in some sense, I have to have centralized uh, I guess I could request the stock certificates and put them in a vault <laughs> or something. Well,
1: hey, we're we're bankless maxis,
2: but we're Ryan and I are
1: also convenience maxis too. So, but neither of us have actually officially broken up with our banks yet. We have a Wells Fargo account, sadly.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's certain things that that like you know you just have to. I, I'd imagine that for me to be to get rid of my checking account is probably another decade out. And I, mm. but I think that will come through. Um, a a new modern form of that. I don't, we'll see.
0: Totally. Do you think one chain will dominate over the others? Or do you think it's like a purely
2: multi-chain world? There will be thousands of chains. What's your take? It's a great question. I, I believe that, um, there are chains now that have enough traction that it's going to be hard to unseat them. Just like some people still use Oracle databases, I think that there is, there's, once there's enough around something, it tends to stick around for a while. Um, There will be use cases that emerge that specific chains will address better than others. Um, And, you know, for example, like our weave for file storage, right? that's that's a really interesting play on on file storage that sticks around for several hundred years, right? Um, I, I, Ethereum's not going to tackle that anytime soon, right? Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think there'll be uh, very specific use cases. I I do believe that with speed, um, we will see new blockchain use cases. So, and I th- I would love to throw a question back to you because I've never. I don't believe I've ever heard you talk about on the show. I know you guys all have, I mean, you got the Ethereum poster hanging in the background, yeah. but I'm curious on, on the Solana front. Like I, I believe mm-hmm. that type of performant tech will unlock, um, very interesting use, use cases in DeFi that you wouldn't normally see even on a layer two world. So, uh, um, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, that's a long way of saying I, I believe it's going to be a multi-chain world. But I, I just want to hear the, the 30 second from both of you on what you think of Solana. Sure. I've yeah. never heard you. Yeah, yeah. I was
0: going to say, I don't know if we can wrap that up in a rapid fire hmm. type format. But I guess my TLDR would be um, we very much agree that uh, high throughput chains, I guess, or low transaction fee chains will unlock a massive amount of use cases. So totally with you there. And new use cases, things we've never seen before. We also think that monolithic chains like Solana or like Polygon, Proof of Stake or something like that—they also have their fit, right? They're net accretive to the ecosystem, and so they're bringing more users in, and that's fantastic. And users should go use whatever chain they feel like, they want, like they want to. There, there shouldn't be dogma about it. Like, oh, I have to pay ten dollars because then I'm an Ethereum zealot, right? Further, though, we also believe there's an episode we put out around modular versus monolithic blockchains we actually think the monolithic design that Solana is optimizing for is kind of a dead end.
1: And Ethereum in its current phase. This is what Ethereum currently is. Yeah,
0: and so we're very bullish on layer twos and roll-ups and actually maximizing the base chain for decentralization or the consensus layer in a modular blockchain design for decentralization. But this is a whole topic can of worms. Mm-hmm. And again, something- yeah, That's interesting.
2: A- I want to listen to that episode. What was that? Yeah, check that out one? that episode.
0: It's called Ultra Scalable Ethereum, Modular yep. versus Monolithic. Mm-hmm. We'll include as a link in the
2: show notes too. And So we'll what you're uh, s- just it to so you. I can, uh, just to s- s- summarize a little bit, you're saying give me security at the base layer, right. make it more modular- the And and that is better than having less security but more performance at the base layer.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so just like what you were saying with how many different chains will optimize for very many different use cases, Ethereum, the L1, needs to optimize for decentralization so it can sell that product, which that product being decentralization, to other blockchains. And with these other blockchains, we consider these L layer twos. Uh, and so there's a lot of use cases that, decentralization is really an afterthought. But you still want decentralization. And so if you want to make an application-specific blockchain that optimizes for execution and throughput, you can do that. You just tap into Ethereum and you get Ethereum to give you its decentralization. Mm. And these, this is roll-ups, right? And so just like how like Solana is optimized for execution, Ethereum is optimized for decentralization.
0: But it does mean that Ethereum is going to have this weird sort of puberty type era, this awkward phase era that we're in now, mm-hmm. where the actual usage has to transition from the Ethereum main chain onto layer twos, right? right? So like, mm. ultimately, in this modular design, Ethereum mainnet is actually just a a chain for other chains to settle on top of. Yeah, a settlement hub. It's a settlement hub, and yeah. users should get off. They should migrate It's off. weird that we're there. And it, it's weird yeah. that we're in this hybrid place. It's like, Like, we're very much, um, we don't think gas fees will go down sustainably over the long run. They can't ever like they'll just go Mm -hmm. up. And so Ethereum's in this awkward phase where like users are still kind of stuck
2: on the main chain and they hate gas fees. Especially because they have to bridge right now. Totally. bridging is like, when I think of, I Mm -hmm. always put my like hat on, my consumer hat on and you know, we've all done the the crazy, you know, matic over back and forth and through the woods. It's and terrible. It's like it's it's horrible. Yeah. Nobody's gonna do that. Yeah. Like I have a hard time doing that. I'm just like, why am I doing all this? It's like ten mm-hmm. like hurdles just to get to a you can't. to an L two matic. You know, yeah,
0: we well, can't. But, but we do think that like bridges will come from centralized exchanges, and this will all get easier in the future. But anyway, okay, it's back to rapid fire, yes. Kevin, because we still got
2: some questions. Uh, why is Dogecoin still a thing? This just goes It speaks to the power of community. I mean, one of the things that um, I'm a believer in is that we have to start thinking about, you know, these PFP projects of 10,000, um, these anytime you community is actually part of the product. Right. And so even though there hasn't been any technical innovation going on there, people want something to rally behind. I mean, and this and Doge is, I mean, I was buying in, in playing with Doge. I actually had the founder, um, uh, Jackson, uh, on my show, on my podcast. Um, gosh, I guess been eight or, eight or nine years ago, eight or years ago, something like that. Wow. Yeah, because he quit. He's out now, right? Yeah, he's out, yeah, and he, he hates it now, but uh, <laughs> he <laughs> had a pretty long rant <laughs> on that whole thing. Right? But um, I think one of the things that I really loved about my initial conversation with him that long ago was that he was all about understanding that, this a community can come together, uh, work together and do amazing things. And they were sponsoring NASCAR back then. They were doing all these really crazy things. Um, and they feel like they're owners in the project. Um, and this is theirs to like own hold. And, and it's, it's a, a game that they want to play partially. Mm-hmm. And it's partially because they think of it as like that. Well, at least back in the day is that it was their tipping currency. So, I. Uh, it's a brand. At the end of the day, it's a brand. And I think that any modern project also has to be part brand, you know?
1: So, Kevin, let's fast forward 10 years into the future. NFTs have exploded. Everyone's got their own NFTs that they like. Layer 2 ecosystems vibrant. Crypto gaming is blossoming. Where's Bitcoin in this world?
2: Mm, this is the hardest one. Yeah. Yeah. It's this is a oh god. I want to hear your guys' answer on this one. Um, <laughs> I want to hear David's. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. It's a weird thing in my head. It, this sounds so odd because it's cryptocurrency. But in my head, mm-hmm. Bitcoin is like bonds. Like I like have a little Bitcoin because I'm like that's my little safe nest egg right. <laughs> over here to the mm-hmm. side. You know, I don't think of it as anything kind of like sexy and innovative, but I think of it as something that is just going to give me a nice, reliable, long-term store of value slash return over the next couple of decades. And, um, you know, with the happenings happening every four years, I I can't imagine it doesn't continue to at least track the market if not outpace it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not a seller because of that reason. I mean, it's the OG it's like, in some sense, you have to kind of pay respect and, and always hold a little. So, Um, is it the crypto punk of cryptocurrencies? Almost (laughs) in some sense it is, you know? So I, I am not, I'm never going to say like, I, I'm not a seller of Bitcoin, but I'm not buying anymore. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's my safe, it's my safe crypto. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As weird as that sounds.
1: No, it seems like a very, very reasonable take. I think it's like the eth btc ratio which a lot of people are looking at right now and you can it's a fractal right you can go down the line like solana versus eth like avalanche versus eth all like eth versus btc goes up in bull markets and down in bear markets and then the same thing with all coins arise in bull markets right. and all coins die in bear markets if we are bullish on this as an industry everything else is therefore going to outpace bitcoin because that's what happens when this industry grows right but Bitcoin also never actually goes away itself either, right? A lot of things do go to zero versus Bitcoin.
2: Well, and there, there's these purists, though, that are on the other side of that that, are, that I, I feel in some sense. I have a couple of these friends that are, I, I won't call them crazy, but I, I can say I won't call them crazy. And that makes them sound a little crazy. Um, they, they, they're like these people that they're obsessed with like this trial, this Craig Wright trial. And like, they're, they're like, oh, yeah. they're, they're mm-hmm. like, they're so, they know every little intimate detail of everything on the Bitcoin side. And, and for them, they don't care about like programmable money. They're not really interested right. in any of that. They're just like they're gold bugs. Give give me give me basic crypto. I want basic crypto, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh and and right. so I feel mm-hmm. that that is always gonna have its fan base, right? It's like you don't have to figure mm-hmm. anything else out. There's no funky, mm-hmm. how do I get to a layer two and back? It's just basic crypto. And so mm-hmm. I, I just um I I I I imagine that stays around for quite some time. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. totally agree. I can say this confidently. Bitcoin will appreciate relative to fiat.
2: Right.
1: Yes, 100%.
2: So
0: that I am pretty certain of. Um, Kevin, this has been fantastic to talk to you, man. Really enjoyed this. I got to end with this question because you are totally dialed into the crypto space. It's obvious you spend so much of your working time there now in kind of the Web3 world so what's next? What's next for Kevin? Do you got some projects that you're excited to launch? What can you hit us with at the end of this conversation?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, I, I really do want to start exploring how we can embrace community. And so at, with at Proof, just on spe- uh, specifically on the NFT side. And so, you know, the Proof, it's going to be called the Proof Collective that I'm coming out with. It'll be launching in December um, yeah, and folks can just sign up for my newsletter at proof.xyz and I'll, I'll do the announcement on there. Um, but that's going to be a way for me to play and test out different ideas. Um, a whole slew of different things that I have ideas around that I want to play with. And it's going to be a fun NFT to do. I'm going to do a thousand of them basically. Um, and gonna be the most hardcore kind of NFT collectors that, that hold them. And then these thousand people will have, access to all these crazy experiments more or less. And um, yeah, there's there's like, I'll give you one like one fun one that is just I'm, I've been toying around with. And um, I think this is applicable. I'm, I'm talking to a few different artists, and I, I think that there's something here. basically, uh, let's just say you're you have this this utility NFT, right? And this utility NFT gives you access to a special, I wouldn't call it a club, but just a special actual physical space that you could go to. Um, Have you ever been to like Soho House in New York or any of these kind of places? Right. For sure. So say you have access to this place where you can go in, use your NFT to check in. And there's a gallery. You can check out other NFTs. You can even display your own as you walk in into different spaces. So just figuring out how as you walk around through physical spaces, your NFTs kind of follow you around would be interesting. Um, And then having live artists kind of perform there as well. So you can imagine there being, let's just say there's a, a night a musician comes in, does a live recording there in front of the, however, 50, 75, 100 people that show up that have that specific NFT. You then take that live recording and instantly both press it out to vinyl, uh, get the option to either press it out to vinyl or also send it to you in a NFT form that you could then destroy and get receive one of the vinyls in return. Um, but just of that actual attendance, that place that you went on that specific occasion, And so I'm just trying to figure out, I mean, it's just one of a thousand little ideas of how can we bring more of this experience into real life environments, um, for, you know, holders of this type of thing. I I believe that there is interactive real world, um, uh, when you're a member of something like this, you will then be able to participate both in terms of enjoying something new. And also when you walk in bringing the environment with you, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. That's awesome, man.
0: Yeah, I do think there's something special about the NFT community You know, at this point in time where you get a bunch of them together holding a common NFT and who knows what you can do with it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then other artists like getting together to actually create artwork live would be a ton of fun. Like how cool would it be if you could actually go to a private event and you watch people make a live artwork in front of you up on a projector and then you walk out with that NFT because you were part of that live event. Like that's freaking awesome. Like that would just be so much fun. So I I think that that's the cool thing about NFTs is it gives you this, this like open license to just go play and experiment because it is so art driven. That, that you can you know just try anything and just see if it sticks.
0: Yeah, playing experimentation, that is the name of the game in Web3 in the NFT space. Uh, Kevin Rose, you were my guide to Web2. That's how I first uncovered it on Dig. It's fun to meet you on the other side in the Web3 world. This yeah. has been a fantastic well, conversation, I, man. We really appreciate I it. I gotta
2: thank you guys for, well, thanks for having me on. And I, I gotta thank you guys for also educating me. Like honestly, as you all know, there is just not enough time, yeah. right? There's not enough time to check out every single project and every. And so I'm so heads down on the NFT front. I need someone to like feed me all the DeFi and all the coins and all the other stuff that you all are talking about. Like, it's it's been nice to to get the education from you. So thanks for putting out great content in a in a way that that is um, authentic. So absolutely, it. It, glad to do it. Yeah,
0: we're we're fun to do. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. It's uh it's absolutely a blast. It does get exhausting at times though, David, right? But uh, <laughs> I don't know. What else would we spend our time doing? Once you go crypto, you don't, you know,
1: everything else is boring. It gets exhausting, but then, yeah, right. As soon as I stop doing it, I'm like, well, I could do more. Absolutely. Right.
2: Well, then you get FOMO, right? Because you're gone for two days and the entire world changed yet again. And you're like, I just missed the entire world changing
0: again. I need to get back to That's what happened to me at Thanksgiving. Uh Apparently, this Constitution DAO people token started mooning and I'd like already redeemed mine and like, what? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Just miss a couple days and uh, you miss a lot in crypto. But, Bankless listeners, you are not missing out on anything because our job is to get you educated, keep you up to speed. Kevin Rose, thanks for joining us on Bankless. This has been a blast. Thanks for having me. Bankless Nation, a couple action items for you. Number one, subscribe to Kevin's podcast and newsletter. Uh, That was mentioned in the show, proof.xyz. You'll find it. Link in our show notes as well. Also, you can follow Kevin on Twitter. We'll include his handle in the show notes. We'll also include a link to our Modular Chains versus Monolithic Chains podcast that we were making references. So, if you haven't listened to that one, you want to get a feel for what at least the bankless thesis is in the emergence of uh, modular versus monolithic blockchains, Ethereum versus Avalanche and all the alt ones, go tune into that podcast too. Risks and disclaimers, guys, of course. NFTs are risky, ETH is risky, crypto is risky, but the beauty of Web3 is you get to own this risk yourself. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.